You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 342 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Uh, Seth hosting this week because Stephen's off doing manual labor somewhere. Uh, and I'm joined uh, by Fosma Moon, as always. Foz, how you doing? Doing well. Excellent. So. Eh, not too shabby. Getting by, as you noted earlier, to the end of the day, so that's always a big win. Back from vacation? Uh, yes, I am, in fact, back from vacation. It was quite the shock to come from 95 degrees and no humidity to surprisingly cool 68, but with, like, 85% humidity, and I swear it felt hotter when we landed. <laughs> or certainly steamier. Um, and also this week, joined by Dave Canty, uh, who is the, I'm going to get this wrong now because I forgot to ask you before we started, director of Loyalty? Uh, head of Loyalty for, for Built. That was close. Uh, head of Loyalty for Built, uh, which is a new rewards program launched a couple weeks ago now. Uh, June 22nd. Right? Yeah, so three weeks ago or so now. And has a really interesting approach to loyalty, which is rent. Who knew? That, that, that's, that's, <laughs> right? People spending all this money on this thing that they had no choice about might want to earn some points for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. As, as you know, I've been involved in loyalty programs for many years uh, in multiple different industries. And when Anker Jane called me up and said, hey, I have this idea um, about rewarding people for their rent. What do you think? Um, I was... First of all, I was on the next plane, and uh, secondly, we kind of sat down and I said, this is, this is something really special, um, and couldn't wait to get started. It's, um, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, got on a plane in the middle of COVID to build this. That's how, that's how excited you were. Actually, I got on a plane. It's, it's a funny story. I got on a plane the day before COVID. Now, oh. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I say that, COVID was already here, but uh, it's like nobody was really paying attention. Um, and I met up with Anker at his office in uh, Bond Street, New York. Um, and we had this great kind of ideation session and conversation about the, the potential for built. And that kind of led into a dinner in the evening. And we, I think it was one of the longest dinners in history. We were kind of sitting there for four hours chatting away and enjoying some great food. And um, I think I was the only one drinking wine, actually. But um, we were having this great conversation and our phones were buzzing, but kind of being courteous we kind of left them kind of face down at the table and um when when we finally kind of uh, saw a natural kind of end to the evening we kind of turned our phones over and tom hanks had got covid and the nba was shutting down and um the president was uh, shutting the border and we went okay uh see ya and um I, moved, I, I, I was on a plane the following morning back to Atlanta, and um, Anker went back to, to his, uh, his family residence, and we, um, we basically developed this um, through the COVID era, as it were, through the, the magic of Zoom. <laughs> there you go. Um, I guess good news is that you got it done just in time, then? <laughs> You know, um, it, it's kind of like a vaccine. We worked hard on it, and yeah. um, when we when we finally came to market, it was all good. Um, yeah. So it's been it's been terrific. Yeah. Awesome. Um, is it a loyalty program or a points program, and does it matter? It it, it does matter. It, to me, it's a, it's a bit of both um, because loyalty to me is something where uh, loyalty always goes both ways. It's not about you know customers being loyal to your brand or your program. It's also about you being loyal to them. And the reason I think it's important in this particular um, in this particular instance um, is because it's probably going to be the most relevant loyalty program for a generation 
through their lifetime because it's going to be relevant from your very first rent payment all the way to when you buy a home. And um, in between that, we're kind of creating an ecosystem to be, to be constantly relevant. So, you know, as part of that ecosystem, you're going to have access to travel with uh, the partnerships that we're creating. You're going to have access to uh, everyday kind of um, lifestyle activities, whether it be fitness um, through our partnerships with SoulCycle, Y7 uh, and Rumble. Um, or it may be, you know, home furnishings or art or culture or whatever through the built collection. So to me, um, when, you're, when you're creating a loyalty program that actually continuously is relevant all the way through your life stage, then to me, it's a true loyalty program, especially if it's delivering value uh, and you're continuously engaging with it. Then to me, that really is loyalty. Points are the currency. So yes, it's also a points program. Um, so in this instance, you're going to be earning built points for, you know, all of the interactions that you have, whether it be paying rent, obviously is the, the primary objective is to reward you for, for rent, um, whether it's getting the, the built MasterCard and spending on that and accelerating your earnings um, uh, and earning points. And, you know, there, there are there to me, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's a, it's a loyalty program of which it has a points currency. So, I mean, one of the questions that I have, I, I foresee a, um, the, a reckoning, a day of reckoning coming in the points community in the next few years. Uh, and by that, I mean, probably mean 12 to 36 months, where we have been printing points at such an astronomical rate. Um, how do you foresee that? How do you foresee yourself being protected against that? Because um, we're going to reach a point where these points, you know, at a dollar a point, it's not worth much uh, to accumulate at all. So, so we're starting to see that already. Yeah, so I've, I've always been a believer in um, redemption breeds loyalty. So I've always wanted to, to allow you and enable you to redeem points as quickly as possible. Um, and they have to have value. Of course they do. Um, so while there are established programs that have you know, built up massive uh, points and miles banks over courses of many, many years, um, there was... Ne- there was never kind of a movement to let's actually allow people to use them in this in the sense that um, it was kind of passive. Um, and certainly, when I created the True Blue program uh, way back when in two thousand and nine, the objective there was to make travel more accessible at lower redemption hurdles. Now that may have changed over time, but that was initially the objective was allowing members to actually use their points earlier. Um, with built rewards, we're going to be doing that as well. So like I said, about, it's about being relevant. So allowing you to use your points for, uh, for your rent payment or if you wish to actually save them and ultimately redeem them for a down payment on a home. I actually think that uh, having redemption options that are truly relevant and meaningful to you make a big difference. Um, so I wanted to make sure that when we were creating this program, we weren't just creating another points program. Um, it needed to be something that had an overall mission. And our mission really is to not only make rent rewarding, but also create a pathway to home ownership. And I think by making sure that you've got those types of targets in play when you're kind of building and creating the program, that allows you to be truly focused on the customer value. And I've always tried to look at it through the lens of the customer. So that's kind of where we started. 
Okay. I mean, so you know, I love I love the concept of move, pivoting folks to buying homes. But earlier you mentioned you you saw it as a lifetime opportunity. But if they're moving to a purchased home, then they're no longer in the rental market. Are Are you thinking that the program is going to grow to tap into that market some other way? So as they transition to uh, owned estates, imagine this, Spaz. What if you could pay your mortgage? With a credit card. That's, eh? 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 That's kind of where I was going. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so, and, and, and even, even beyond that, I think um, what I'm hopeful of is that Built Rewards continues to be relevant to the point where you look back and say, Built Rewards allowed me to actually achieve my dream of buying a home. And therefore, there, there are still going to be elements of it that are relevant, whether it be the catalog or whether it be the the transfer partnerships and and so forth. Um, And obviously the credit card obviously is a a significant uh, offering in and of itself. But to to Seth's point, you know, we're continuously going to evolve. um, So imagine what the possibilities are. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. um, You know, along those lines, you know, you mentioned, we've mentioned the travel or the transfer partners and the travel a bit here. I feel like one of the very interesting facets of the program is you are essentially or you are in many ways similar to some of the bank cards in that you're creating a currency that is far more fungible than just earning points with any one program right it's the built program it's built points but you've got a built-in you know scheme for transfer out to something like a dozen airlines and hotels generally all at a one-to-one ratio Mm -hmm. and so you know i guess you know even if i did i don't you know have a pay rent anymore, right? I, I wouldn't qualify. I wouldn't come in at that, but you know, it's, and I'll be honest with you, I'm probably not going to switch over to the built master card. Cause you know, I get better bonuses through earnings with other cards right now for me, for my spending patterns, but I could see how that could be compelling just sort of on general earn because it does have a good range of transfer partners. Yeah. Look, our, our target initially is addressing, um, the, the, the rental community and being relevant to them. I actually do think that we will ultimately become relevant beyond those. But for now, our focus is ensuring that we're making rent rewarding. Yes, we're building an ecosystem that allows you to utilize those points beyond um, the, the, um, the, the rent itself. Um, and I think that's, that's really important because it kind of comes back to meaningful redemption. And the fact that we have been creating partnerships at a one-to-one ratio shows that we're quite serious about making sure that we're, we're creating value uh, for the member. Um, you know, every, every travel partner that we have approached, we've kind of come from the perspective of, look, we want to make sure that our customers feel like they're getting the, 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 the best value they can possibly get. Now, some of them have come back to us and said, well, we'll do a relationship with you on, on a two-to-one basis or whatever. And we felt that that wasn't something that was going to really appeal initially. So we worked hard in, in building those relationships and developing partnerships that allowed us to, to um, give you that, that one-to-one kind of um, uh, transfer ratio. And I think we also made sure that we were looking at, certainly when we started looking at airlines, uh, we're not looking at having every single airline on the planet, um, uh, you know, a direct partner of Built. But we did want to make sure that we picked the right ones um, that allowed our members to have access to all three alliances. So essentially, you can literally fly uh, probably 100 airlines 
um, using built points because we've got access to one world with American Airlines. We've got access to Star Alliance with Aeroplan and Turkish. We've got access to um, uh, Sky Team with uh, Flying Blue and KLM Air France. Um, and then obviously we've got uh, niche partners like Hawaiian um, that really kind of serve a, a, a specific uh, market. Um, and, you know, we will continue to, to see what partners make sense. But I think kind of out of the gate, um, from a conversation that began uh, the night that uh, the night that COVID kind of announced itself in, in, in a real way, um, shows that there's been a lot of a lot of uh, hard miles uh, done, not just by the loyalty team, but the overall built team as a whole. I mean, the guys that are have, have been working in the engineering side have truly been remarkable in how they've gone about developing this in a very iterative and collaborative way. Um, you know, we started out by um, looking at the key partners that we needed on the real estate side. Um, and by forming the Built Rewards Alliance, that was actually huge because by doing that, we actually got some of the biggest real estate partners in the country to be part of this program. Um, and they got excited. They got excited as well about the fact that we were building out this ecosystem with travel partners and lifestyle partners and so forth. So, yeah. And I guess that's the other the other thing to touch on here is it really is it's a ton of apartment rental units around the country, right? I mean, I, I think the stats in the release were something like billions of units. Some. Yeah. Like. So there, um, right now, we've got about two million units uh, across the country across all of our partners. Um, you know, we're, we're not live in all of them just yet. We're, we're kind of uh, going, going in a rolled out kind of phase. And that's deliberate because, as you can imagine, when you're launching a program uh, of this magnitude and with a target audience that is so large, you want to make sure that you do it in such a way that we can manage to it. Um, so, you know, there's, there's been a, a tremendous um, reaction so far. We've got a number of uh, people that have signed up for the waitlist, um, and we're continuously working through that and releasing people from the waitlist uh, to go through and, and become a member and, and enjoy the benefits of, of that. Um, and it's really exciting. And we continue to get, to get you know, I'm getting calls from, um, from real estate companies that aren't part of the real estate, the, the Build Rewards Alliance, asking how can I become part of this program. Um, and, you know, the other thing, so, so we're starting there, but where the Built MasterCard makes a lot of sense is even if you're not part of the Built Rewards Alliance, if you're renting an apartment outside of that, you can still pay rent and earn points if you have the built MasterCard. Um, because basically what happens is you, you will uh, pay rent through the built rewards app. Your uh, credit card is, um, is already linked to that. And what we'll do is we'll, just, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take a payment from you and cut a check or do an ACH directly to your landlord if you're outside of the, the built rewards alliance. I never think. I don't think I can remember a loyalty program that has a velvet rope involved that I got to get on a wait list to get inside. So that's exciting. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, um, uh, Seth, you know, you know how I feel about you and kind of inviting you beyond the, the velvet rope. I, I think I, I've enjoyed seeing you on the other side for a while, but at the same time, seeing your reaction on getting in is pretty yeah. cool. I think the first velvet rope I got you past was with a hard hat. 
That was. <laughs> For those who don't know, uh, many, many years, like 12 years ago now, I think, JetBlue was building its JFK T5 terminal. Uh, and I harassed Dave roughly twice a week for about six months to provide a tour for a bunch of members of Flyer Talk. And he didn't understand how or why we wanted this and what I was doing, but eventually relented. And in fact, we had a great day with hard hats on walking through T5 while it was still under construction. Yeah, it was, uh, I, you know, I, I'm surprised we actually didn't require to have steel toe caps as well, yeah. because <laughs> it was literally a building site. Um, but and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was great to meet everybody and I think the thing I enjoyed most was that was the first time I saw people really kind of geek out about a whole kind of airline behind the scenes kind of thing um, uh, as it was being built it was pretty cool um, I, I'm going to assume that you won't get the same appeal for apartment buildings under construction you know um, I'm maybe, hopeful maybe that I, I, I'm hopeful that when apartment um, um, developers start building those things that they they consider this this uh, skyscraper or this this building uh, should be part of the Build Rewards Alliance so um, but, but will you get the members lining up to take tours while it's still under construction? I'm not entirely sure that they're going to be uh, as you know as interested as you guys were about a very polite word to use. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if it's aviation themed, you might be able to build the uh, hubbub around it. You never know which um, where we may digress to, um, but for now, that's not part of the plan. <laughs> I, I guess one of the questions that that comes up for me is, what's the incentive to the apartment owners to partake in this? It's a terrific question. Um, I think if you if you really uh, step back for a second and think about um, the expense it takes for apartment owners to market their apartments, to find good renters, uh, and subsequently retain them, um, that can actually add up to a lot of money. Um, with the Built Rewards program, this actually becomes an acquisition and retention program for, for them. So they can attract new renters into their apartments by you know, offering them, let's say, 10,000 build points for signing a new lease or even renewing a new lease. Um, so there's a lot of value there in, in the sense that all of a sudden um, they can work with us. And the other thing as well is... Because of because this program, because we're rewarding on rent, we can actually see every on-time rent payment. So, you know, we're going to be continuously building the credit scores of uh, the Built Rewards members. Um, and that's also an attractive um, uh, thing for the, for the landlords. So can you touch on how you'd be building the credit score for uh, sure. renters? Because I'm confused about how that would work. Yeah. Yeah, um, so one of the things that you're probably not aware of, um, and Faz, I don't know if you rent today. Do you rent? No, I own at this point. Okay, so anybody who um, who out there rents today, you're pro that is probably your largest monthly expense, it's fair to say. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that for their largest outgoing on a monthly basis, that does not get reported to the credit bureaus. When you pay on time, you get zero credit at the credit bureaus for those on-time rent payments, and that's your largest expense. Um, at Built, we're actually going to start reporting on-time rent payments, and by doing that, we're going to continuously help you build your credit score over time. And that actually it kind of gets back to meaningful benefits again. 
even though that's not something that we kind of like list out on, you know, the bullet points of benefits of a program, it's a significant benefit, especially when you start thinking about the pathway to home ownership. Because over time, if you're continuously paying your rent on time and we're continuously reporting that and you're all, all of a sudden building up that credit, you guys will know as property owners that a better, high, a better credit score reduces the cost of the mortgage you're seeking. So it can save you thousands of dollars. And then on top of that, you can also use your points towards the origination of a down payment. And that to me actually is a huge benefit. So built rewards will be actually reporting on-time rent uh, payments to the credit bureaus. And that's how we're going to continue to, to help you build your score. So it really but just boils down to that. You're, you're just running activity on a credit card, so you're seeing the on-time payments. Uh, no, uh, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the credit card. So um, even if you're a built rewards member, we're seeing your payment because you're paying through the built app. So even outside the the credit line, you're actually reporting those to the credit agencies? We're reporting all on-time payments of built rewards members to the credit agencies. Yeah. So are you showing up as a uh, – where, where would you show up in a credit report, right? Normally it's open lines of credit, but this wouldn't really be an open line of credit. Uh, it's a good line of questioning that I'm probably not the best person to answer in that detail. Okay. Um, I've, I, um, yeah, I'd be getting myself into a ton of trouble if I started trying to get yeah, on I, that path. I do know one of the things I think I remember is that you can basically affect an ACH payment rather than a credit card transaction to do the rent also if someone doesn't want the card, right? Yes, that's correct. So, okay, so it's not just the credit card, but... Interesting. Sorry to catch you off guard. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, it's a good question, but I, I, I want to be I want to be as transparent as possible because you know that's that's an area that I'm not I'm not the expert in. Okay. Um, there are other guys within the in, in the organization that look after the you know the the, the rental payment side. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot for one more prediction. Here we uh, go. Which category of the redemptions do you think is going to be the most popular? Lifestyle, uh, rent, or travel transfers? It's a great, uh, yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting, and I'm not trying to avoid the answer. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you my prediction, but I do want to premise it in the sense that um, the younger generation are a really interesting generation in the sense that I think travel is definitely going to be important. But I also think that uh, getting the, the the basics right for them is you know appeals to them as well. So allowing them to pay their rent with points, I think is 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 going to be a big one. Um, I think that will possibly be the the largest from a percentage perspective, um, followed quickly by travel. I would think. Alrighty, I'll accept, I'll take that. Um, and I think that wraps up the time we got for you. It does sound like an interesting program, um, and I'm. Very interested to see how it plays out and how successful you guys managed to make it. Uh, listen, thanks, thanks a million for the, the time. And um, if you want to learn more, just go to builtrewards.com and check it out. Um, and I encourage everybody just to download the Built Rewards app because you learn a little bit more. Um, even as a non-member, you'll be able to kind of browse uh, the catalog. And we're also doing a lot of work with um, editorials. Um, so if you actually go in and certainly uh, for, for your audience, it might be interesting for them because, um, you know, we, we we're building out editorials, allowing you to kind of understand how you can get kind of get the best deals in travel. Um, 
by using your points. And you know, we 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 uh, we brought Richard Kerr from um, the TPG in to help us with that. So he's. Been I'm, I'm looking for his his uh, column on how to scam the status program of built rewards. Uh, well, uh, Richard, Richard's on my team, and um, um, you'll 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 know how I feel about that. Indeed. All right. <laughs> Thanks so, a lot, Dave. Uh, said it's been great spending time with you. Have a great conversation uh, beyond this, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you much. Cheers. Cheers. And Bye-bye. for everybody else, we'll be back in just a couple seconds with the rest of the show. And we are back with me being on the show now. Hey, welcome. Good <laughs> uh, I owe you an apology, Stephen. Oh, you do? I do. Why? Last week, or now longer than a week ago when we were recording the last episode, uh, I think it was after we finished recording, but we were just chatting uh, offline, I asked you, because you, you'd been to New Mexico before, whether you'd like the red chilies or the green chili sauce, because I've understood it to be somewhat of a religious debate uh, yes. out there, and you said Christmas, yep. and I made a lot of fun of you for riding the fence. <laughs> but it's the way to go, right? It, it, I did not uh, find it displeasurable. <laughs> like it's, it's like I kind of want both flavors, so I just order both. I, I will say that generally, I preferred the green a little more than the red. I found it they were both you know various levels of spice, but the greens I thought had a more complex flavor, while the mm. red was just a little more heat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most places we went, but every now and then you got one that it was completely different, and that's the other part is like it's not you know consistent sauce from you know a jug. Clearly, yep. it's, these guys are making their own. So yeah, so let's talk about. I mean, we haven't talked about the trip. How was your trip? <laughs> We didn't even put that good. in the topic list. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. It was, uh, you know, flying sucks. I got caught in the cancellations from American Airlines over the weekend. Uh, a They're saying it was a weather cancel, and a, that DFW on Friday night uh, of Fourth of July weekend was a mess. So um, I suppose that is, you know, they canceled a couple hundred flights, and I guess mine was one of them uh, as the day rolled on. So a lot of scrambling to rebook. Uh, finally found seats out of Boston the next morning. Actually only ended up into Santa Fe probably. I think we are supposed to get in at 10 in the morning, and we got in around 4 in the afternoon. Yeah. So all things considered, you know, a pretty quick recovery, just that basically everything else along the way wasn't what we expected to be. <laughs> um, different hotel than we planned, different flights than we planned. Couldn't get the rental car because I picked an off-site location, which was my mistake and not checking it. But it was only open to 10, 10 to 2, and we landed after it was closed. Oh, uh, yeah, and so like, you know, I had to take a car into town and then... Basically, the good news is actually funny is my brother, we met up with my brother and sister-in-law. And he's like, hey, I know you were going to get the car, but I figured we might want to split up at some point during the week. So I just went ahead and rented an extra car. Yeah. And so that the place we rented from was also closed on Sunday, which was uh, 4th of July. So we ended up being without car for like 48 hours that we planned to have it. So the fact that my brother showed up with a separate car from Albuquerque actually proved hugely helpful in the end. So sometimes, sometimes being lucky is better than being good, <laughs> they say. But um, so New Mexico is interesting. We did some rafting on the Rio Grande, Rio Grande, Rio Grande, whatever. Rio Grande. It's not, yeah, Rio it's not that big in New Mexico. No, no. it's like a stream. <laughs> yeah, it, it was somewhat a misnomer, if you will. Uh, not grande. No, no es grande. Uh, but uh, the rafting was actually still very fun. Um, you know, Santa Fe is, I would say, feels very touristy if you're in the downtown sort of core. Yep. Uh, which, as tourists, was you know where we dropped off <laughs> or where we dropped in. Um, so you know it's where we're supposed to be and whatnot. We bizarre like they had actually a huge sort of Fourth of July fireworks event that we went and saw that was actually kind of fun. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was nice. There's it's busy there, like almost any you know sort of domestic travel destination these days. It it felt very busy. I don't know if it's just that I haven't been out a lot lately or what, but you know lines for restaurants were well over an hour. Hmm. I think I mean I think Santa Fe. I mean for New Mexico for New Mexicans, right? Like is kind of a place to go in the summer, early yeah. to midsummer, just because it's a little cooler than the rest of the state. And yeah, I don't know. Did you drive up the hill to Los Alamos? 
Uh, so we went near Los Alamos and went to the Bandelier mm-hmm. Park and hiked through there a little bit. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law did a sort of walking tour of Los Alamos when we were rafting and said it was really much more, it wasn't as much uh, of the, I can't remember what they said, it, was, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And I can't remember if they wanted it to be more uh, nuclear or more Adobe, mm. um, but whichever one that what they wanted, it was the other one. Um, I think it was more nuclear and they wanted more Adobe. So I probably would enjoy the more nuclear stuff. Um, <laughs> Did, uh, what do you think of Santa Fe's fine little airport? You know, it's adorable. <laughs> it's a tiny little Adobe hut. Like it's, uh, the baggage claim is a small metal roll up gate with like the roller wheels that you normally use to put your bags into the TSA belt, mm-hmm. maybe 15 feet long. And that was how baggage claim was handled. Like, they wheeled them over and just rolled them down the line, and you grabbed yours and got out of the way. Uh, not a lot of space in there, to say the least. <laughs> but I got off the plane, I, I looked over, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But then remembered that, like, that's the shtick for the whole town, and it made sense, and it was fine. But it was an adorable little adobe building. I mean, it's a small t- it's a small city. Like, it I wouldn't even call it, it a city. It's a, it's a town. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it was pretty funny. So uh, when I saw it, I really was like, what? I mean, I know I picked a small airport. And then the other thing we did, we actually went, we drove down uh, sort of the length of the state and flew out of El Paso. But we went uh, via White Sands and spent an overnight uh, in Alamogordo, which is the town just off of the White Sands uh, National Park and Missile Range, which is very nice of the United States government to combine those things together. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's signage like, if you see something that looks funny, please don't pick it up. It might be shrapnel from a missile test. Um, Oops. Yeah, so, you know, good advice, I believe it, but uh, the white sands are really cool. It's just, like, pure bleached white gypsum dust all around the middle of, you know, in the middle of the desert, creating these crazy sand dunes, so that was cool to see. So did you, to, uh, I had to ask then, you didn't take 25 down, did you? We did not take 25, we did the other road, we did the uh, U.S. Highway, not the interstate. So you didn't, get to, go through, you didn't get to go through the best town in New Mexico? Truth and Consequences? Yeah. Hey, man, there was a rocket launch there, or a plane launch. <laughs> yeah. That's the base for uh, Virgin Galactic, right? I, I have no idea. I just I used to drive through truth, truth or – it's truth or consequences. Oh, or consequences. Uh, yeah, uh, I used to drive through there quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the base or the nearest town for the uh, Virgin Galactic spaceport, actually. Oh, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. We can actually talk about it now if you want. I was, I was trying to segue. Oh, well, you teed it up for me and I uh, whiffed it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this it launched, right? Like the Virgin Galactic yeah. had a launch. Branson went to space. Asked yeah. Us. Why, why asterisk? So in petty idiocy, right, this is – you can debate whether this is actually what happened or not, but I think the commonly accepted is that there has been this sort of race of which of the billionaires is going to go to space first on his company's uh, rocket, Musk, Bezos, or Branson. And a couple weeks ago, Bezos announced that he was going to ride on Blue Origin, and I think actually on its first passenger flight. Uh, he was taking his brother and uh, the woman from the Mercury 13, who was one of the astronauts who qualified mm-hmm. or uh, astronaut candidates who qualified back in the Mercury days. And they're like, yeah, we're only going to take men up. Sorry. Uh, and got booted. And there's a fourth, if I remember correctly. Um, but whatever. He's going up and they're like, yep, he's going to be the first. He's going up at the you know, July 20th. And then suddenly uh, and miraculously, Virgin Galactic was like, oh, actually, we had a test flight scheduled for uh, the 11th. So we're going to take the boss up. And Branson, Branson went up first. Um and so there's that level of sort of idiocy about it. But the Blue Origin Twitter account shared a infographic noting that uh, the Virgin Galactic aircraft only goes to 80 kilometers and it's goes to and Blue Origin goes to 100 kilometers. And that's the Carmen line, I believe it's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. And so that's the... Uh, the difference in like it's the you know, 90, 96% of the world says you got to go all the way to the Carmen line to be in space. And only the U S and a couple of the places think it's the lower altitude. And it was just like you boys with your billions of dollars stopping such petty assholes. So this is, this <laughs> is basically like the modern day version of having a big truck. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, it's it's a private enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, except that apparently the U.S. government f- funded the building of the spaceport through some airport like grant thing. Oh, um, lovely. Okay. Anyway, uh, like to tune of like two hundred million dollars. Apparently, I haven't dug into that, but I saw mention of that at some point. So, can, can I just say that I think it's amazing that we have live video from like inside this aircraft while it's hurtling through lower space or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, at Mach three, um, but pretty poor video. But it was they were trying. Uh, but let's just say it was yeah. more clear than most uh, cameras inside of convenience stores or Wi-Fi United. <laughs> <laughs> but a bing, but a boom, boom. It's a tennis match. You guys knocked them down. Not sure which way to look. I thought he was going to go there first. <laughs> we don't have Ed on the show, so you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ed would have definitely said that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just it's crazy to me. I mean, it, it is pretty wild, and I mean, it's cool. I think it's. So Blue Origins launched from the from the ground, right? Like it's not Blue Origins be- a rocket, um, straight vertical launch off the ground. Virgin Galactic is uh, the Burt Rutan designed uh, plane that goes. Uh, White Knight Two is the carrier, and it's like this crazy shaped plane with a center gap that holds the Unity plane. But it takes off and flies up to forty six thousand feet as a regular sort of jet, and then drops the spacecraft, which lights a rocket and flies up into space, gets up to. 80 kilometers and then changes shape. It's got this funky, what they call feathering um, mm-hmm. thing where like the tail fins turn to 90 degrees and help control it um, as it descends, but it descends at free falls. And so you get your zero G time or microgravity time. And then uh, eventually uh, cur- turns back into being a glider and lands as a glider. <laughs> so it's, and it's, it's reusable, which is nice. I mean, this isn't like a new concept, right? Like they used to use like for the X-15 and some of these other early experimental uh, rockets. They would launch them from like below B-52s and B-29s. Like the, you know, Jaeger was launched from the belly of a B-29. Um, so interesting concept, cool concept. Is is it long-term sustainable, I guess, right? Like it's it's a certain, it's a specific size. Like you can't add another rocket to it, right? To make it go higher. I don't, I don't believe so. I think the thing that it launches, right, the Unity spacecraft is what it is. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's a cool concept for like tourists, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, this is and so this is sort of one of the debates: is like, is it tourism? Is it travel? You know, how many points do you get for taking a trip? I guess with revenue-based programs, it's not as big a deal anymore. But like, if you land at the same place you took off from, that doesn't help your points <laughs> earning. Um, zero EQMs. You don't even get a new line. It's just a dot. Yeah. But on the plus side, it's a pretty cool dot. How many carbon offsets do you have to buy? Well, this is the real <laughs> question. Faz is such an asshole. <laughs> no, it's, no, you know what? It's actually legitimate. Like, what are you doing? You don't actually go anywhere you, up, except up into space, um, maybe. Um, and, like, what is the impact of doing it? Also, it's still not cheap. There's a lot of talk. Honestly, the, the video production that Virgin Galactic did was terrible. Um, but there's a lot of talk about, like, democratization of space and how this is going to open up space tourism and da 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 And I'm like, okay, fine. But in the past, like, a ride on to the near uh, space station was... In the millions to tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. This is going to bring it down maybe to a quarter of a million for the first few hundred people who want to go. So slashing a couple of zeros off the price tag is great. But, like, we were talking the other day, a couple of weeks ago, about that 90-day cruise from Alaska through the Northwest Passage all the way down to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And I think that was only $65,000 a person for a 90-day trip, not a 90-second trip. Where you actually do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're going. So. Is, is is Bezos still going um, in a week? That's the plan. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's see see how that one works out. I'm, are they going to live stream that one as well? I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. To the, I don't know what uh, systems they have on board uh, for you know sending the data back during the trip. But I, I, I got to be honest. Like I I was hesitant to watch the 
the one with Virgin, just because I, I didn't want to watch someone die live on television yeah. if something went wrong. Like that's just not my thing. Um, so I waited until I knew it was successful. Um, is that is that wrong? Is that the wrong way to experience something like this? No. Um, I almost wanted to stop watching it because the broadcast was so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't good. That's for sure. It was not enjoyable to me. So, um, so this other topic we got a couple of them. I think the big one to me is the news about uh, Porter and their airplane order, which we're recording this on Monday the twelfth. Uh, but this this news came out today, uh, and it's it's big news to me. Yeah, I think it's big news to everybody. <laughs> Someone was a small regional carrier that operates only props out of Billy Bishop Airport in downtown Toronto that can't actually operate jets from that airport, doing ordering thirty jets with fifty options. I think that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've ordered they've ordered thirty E one ninety fives, right? Yeah, with fifty options. With fifty options, uh, one it's a, it's a ton of planes um, for a small carrier because they are small, um, and. They are already kind of talking about like where they would fly them, or people are speculating, I guess, on where they would fly them. They, uh, they published a quote-unquote route map, but it was just a map of potential destinations that might get service at some point. Yeah. The only thing they said, and they also said that they were going to probably fly them in Mexico and didn't put any dots from Mexico on the map, so. Um, so, Fuzzy, you were going to say something? Sorry. Well, I mean, presumably, they clearly can't fly out of Billy Bishop, then the question is, does Pearson have the capacity? They got Pearson, uh, Halifax, Trudeau, which is Montreal, and Ottawa all listed. And I want to say that both, at least Pearson and Montreal, are slot limited. And Pearson is, like, especially during the summer, is an absolute crap shoot if you'll make it in or out. Yeah. Um, it's it's really uh, going to be interesting to see how they pull that off, um, especially because well, the, the counterpoint to that is both Air Canada and WestJet have significantly reduced capacity, and so they must think that they're going to be able to get some of those slots, um, but the capacity will stay depressed for an extended period of time. So they they had originally looked at the C series, the C series, yeah, the A220. What's now the A220? But I guess they opted for the E195s because they can get their hands on. I don't know. Um, that's probably part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The, the original C-Series order was for the smaller, the CS100, which is now the A220-100, uh, which is about the same number of seats as the E195 E2, mm-hmm. maybe slightly smaller. Um, but it was also predicated on them extending the runway at Billy Bishop and letting them use jets there. And they sort of tried to hold Toronto. They used Montreal to try to force Toronto's hand. Hmm. Well, right. Big, good business for Montreal when the C-Series was being built there, but it would force people in Toronto to make do something. And as I understand it, those cities and provinces don't really like each other, so it didn't work out so well. Uh, but, you know, I, I think probably delivery is a big part of it. Now, one of the interesting things that I, you know, I'm sure the E2 is better, but when I talked to uh, folks at Breeze Airways about the E1s, the E190s and 195s that they picked up from Azul, one of the things I mentioned was that the break-even pr- like economics of the planes gets really, really hard after you do a two-hour stage length, and mm. longer than that. And like everything that Porter's putting on the map is longer than two hours. So that's interesting. Like, so are you saying then that the A220 is a better long stage length airplane? Yes, but it's a worse, arguably worse at shorter stage lengths, just because of trip costs, like minimum yeah. sort yeah. of operating costs. Yeah. So, but the 195 is a two-two in the back, right? Yes. So maybe it's that's part of the. Uh, it's the same number of seats, though. Yeah, but it's from a passenger experience. It's a better yeah. experience. And huge windows. Um, I like the jets I mean, I think they're nice to fly on. 
Um, are they getting rid of their Q400s as part of this? Nope. They're going to keep uh, the regional operations at Billy Bishop. That's what I was – I mean, I was kind of wondering about that because when the border does open up, uh, you know, there's a preference when flying to Toronto to fly into Bishop. Yeah. Um, and I know that Porter has a pretty solid following in the United States of people when they have to travel to Canada. The business travelers that like downtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is the thing that I – you know, there's many things about this that I find interesting, but – there's the threat from Connect Airways, which is launching a what used to be Porter copycat. The, they're going to take two Q400s. They're going to be US based, but do the exact same thing. Q400s on high margin business routes into Billy Bishop. Um, so that's competition that Porter's got to face. But also remember that Porter's been closed for 18 months by the time they come back this September, and the new planes don't show up till second half of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got to sort of get through a year and get back on their feet for any of this to work. Um, but also, you've got to figure like, the E-195 is running fun and sun routes into Florida or, you know, Texas or Arizona or Mexico or the Caribbean. That's a whole different business model, right? That's a leisure travel, everything different. And so how do you, uh, how do you manage that? You know, sort of run, is it, are you really running like an airline within an airline almost? Well, and, and you just, you can't really, like, you're not going to offer, hopefully you're not going to offer connecting flights, you know, uh, where people are connecting from Bishop to, you know, Pearson. <laughs> Bishop to Ottawa and then Ottawa to wherever Texas. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, it's uh, it's just an interesting. Well, so I mean, they said they're going to keep the same sort of premiumish product. Yeah, free, free beer and wine and glassware on the E one ninety fives. Single single cabin. They didn't explicitly say that. They said the quote is something like new levels of entertainment and comfort on board. So they might have a premium cabin offering. Uh, there'll be some version of in flight entertainment, probably streaming, if I had to guess. Um, you know, sort of bring your own device thing with some plugs in the seats is typically where I'd see that go these days. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's odd to me. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm, if I'm completely crazy here, but it's odd to me because they're not, they're not a low cost carrier, right? Right. I, I wouldn't, they're, they're a, they're a niche carrier is what I would call yes. it. Um, and so for this to succeed, like there has to be some kind of audience that wants to fly them over air Canada. If they're on the, if they can fly, if they fly the same routes, right? Like people are or, loyal or to airlines or flare or whoever, you know, I don't know. Well, that's right, the thing I don't understand, right? They're walking into a heavily competitive market with majors who have the ability to price them out. Yeah. Right? So how do you compete with that? Like, do you, is your following really that big that you can conquer that? Because I, I personally don't think, while Billy Bishop is a great experience, I can't imagine the attraction to go from there to Pearson and then pick Porter over anyone else is really a differentiating fact. And, and, and you're still going to have a limited network, right, compared to the others. And where are they going to put the lounge? <laughs> well, that's a real thing, right? right? I and mean, they have a lounge at Billy Bishop. It's not much, but it's free coffee and but even at a number of their U.S. airports. Even at Newark, Newark they've, got a, yeah, yeah. they've got a corner that's their lounge. Yeah, they took over like some gate space and put a coffee bar in. It's pretty nice. It, you know, yeah, I, there's a lot of questions about all those things, right? And you know, you talk about you know how deep is the loyalty to them and this and that. I mean, you've got the passenger who just wants to save money that's going to say, "Well, Flair is X dollars cheaper." And you've got the passengers like, oh, I'm stuck in a full, you know, I'm going full service. And outside of Toronto, it's a much smaller, uh, you know, customer base. So when you're building up a Ottawa or Halifax or whatever, did I say Halifax earlier? If not, I meant to. Um, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, how, how do you attract those customers? And part of that is you, you happen to have the flights on the days people want to go, you know, maybe pick routes that aren't being flown by Air Canada or WestJet today or not as frequently or something like that. But there's definitely going to be some overlap. I mean, those guys aren't going to let uh, Porter show up uncontested. Yeah, yeah. Which is also, interestingly, and again, going back to the, they're not a sort of a low-cost carrier thing. I don't think we talked about this. When I was down in St. Martin a few weeks ago, the guy from Frontier Airlines spoke, and maybe we did talk about it, his, his comment though was, if you're trying to attract us to your airport, don't come to us with markets that, you know, you think 
should have service. Come to us with markets that you know have demand an existing service where the fares are too expensive because we'll show up and undercut the price mm. and piss off your existing airline partners. Um, but, you know, as, as he said, the hotel rooms don't care how what plane those passengers took to get here. They all pay the same room rate. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you save $100 on your airfare, maybe you spend a little more on vacation on, you know, room and food yeah. and souvenirs, which is great for the island economy. But I have, I have a question. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you flown into Bishop, Seth? Yeah, been a while, but I have done it a couple times. And you too, Foz, right? Thank you for Yes. So, okay, it has a ferry, right? Mm-hmm. But it also has a tunnel. Yes. Yeah, you can walk it. The tunnel wasn't always there. The tunnel is relatively new. So they, you can get dropped off, right, at the, on the mainland and then walk over to this island. Yes. Yep. Do you check in at the mainland? No. Okay, so like security and everything is handled over. On the island. Yeah, because there's two areas, right? You've got the transporter and then the domestic. Gotcha, okay. But no preclearance. No preclearance, right. Even though it's transporter. Oh, so you can't clear there you clear yeah. you clear on the states you right in. that's why porter used b at newark gotcha okay that stinks and why don't there's want- talk about maybe changing it but this preclearance takes up a lot of space yeah but what about like adding like to me it seems like this is a no-brainer to like add a, a you know a link to the runway here uh and and make this a penultimate well the pr- problem is there's so a lot of that area is um there's parks in the area some of the islands are parks right and it's a lot of there's a noise concern um, and the locals just don't want it from a, you know, they like Billy Bishop as it is because there's a limited amount of noise and you can still maintain the rest of the habitat, but jets will be much louder. Yeah. Okay. I mean, cause you know, Pearson makes tons of sense cause it's basically in a neighborhood, uh, but whatever. <laughs> and way right, on the but, other side of Toronto. But Stephen, it's a much lower income neighborhood than the millionaires who have the lakefront apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you should understand how that works now. Yes, I should. Okay. I mean, uh, can fly from Hamilton. It's almost as far as Pearson from that, from Billy Bishop. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. All right. We've beat that one to death. Uh, Swiss premium economy seats. So this got announced. Seth, you have an article about it. Yeah, it's a couple weeks ago. It's a, it's a nice product. It looks I mean, very standard, I will say, for what basic economy would be. But it's, uh, it's a nice looking seat. Yeah. Are they, are they going to charge you extra for a seat assignment like they do with everything else? <laughs> Yeah, they're going to charge you to look at the seat and then here <laughs> put the blindfold on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only on the triple sevens, uh, and uh, they are expect to be loaded in the schedule for next summer's uh, operations. But they're starting the installations already, and so if they decide to dedicate some of the subfleet, you know, dedicate a subfleet to a certain route or two, then it will. Uh, they might start selling in some markets earlier. It's a two four two layout, uh, articulating or not articulating the hard shell recline, so your knees slide forward. And USB power that does not appear to has a standard 110 volt outlet, which I think is a mistake. I think if you're going to have that premium seat, you need real power for a, a business person. Yeah. Um, Unless the USB can put out high wattage USB C. It's USB A. So no. Um, interesting oh, to wait, me. Wait, hang on. Sorry. One other thing. You get to download two free publications from their e-journals portal onto your digital device for free ahead of the flight. You mean they don't have the little tray outside? The magazines? Yeah. yeah. No. So is it me or is this Swiss overrated? I'm kind of so that's kind of where I was going. Like Swiss F, which you can't get via miles on Star Alliance unless you use uh, uh, miles or more, um, is, a, is a nice product. I think it's decent, um, but I, I don't want their coach product at all. It's ten across in the triple sevens, which would make me buy up to this. But this looks okay. Nothing amazing about it. And their business class is kind of like whatever. And I have to pay for the nicer seat in business class. Yeah, I just think they're overrated. I mean, I like Zurich. I like connecting in Zurich. I, I, I like, like Zurich as well, but I would pre- I, Munich is a cra- is just the same for me mm. from a connection standpoint. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think the thing with Zurich, I think the connections are a little easier in Zurich. Um, Not if you have to take the train. It's just it's just like Munich at that point. But well, the train moves at you. 
Yeah, but the but the train but like in Munich, like, doesn't it? Isn't that the one that they like yes. to have a yes. Yeah, okay. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but like the tr- but like in Munich, right? If you land on the um, on the U.S. arrivals side, right, yep. and you have to connect like that, and with the new terminal, that could be a, a huge. I mean, you could be a forty-five minute walk oh, because <laughs> what forty-five minutes? How slow do you walk? I don't run. That's for sure. Well, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still made the flight to Honolulu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, episode get 56, to, I think. So he walks slower now is what we're learning. Yes. <laughs> especially, especially when I'm with you guys. Um, especially with Foss. <laughs> Otherwise, bad things might happen. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I don't see... I, I think, like, like Zurich, I can get through immigration control down to the train and to my gate in 15 minutes. I don't know. I feel like most of the time I've gone through Munich, it's like you walk in, you go up or downstairs. I forget which to do your immigration, and then like yes, you might have to walk like from the end to the center, go up or down, and then back across. Some the new the new extension with the little train across slows it down a little bit more, but forty five seems excessive. I'm just I'm always cautious when I book a connection into Munich. Yeah, that's, that's, with the, I think with the with the extension of the train to the other terminal, which I actually don't know if they have it operating right now, given the lower capacity, mm-hmm. that, like the whole world is seeing. Um, but that does add some time. But I still remember we I did a. Uh, press trip to Malta uh, via Munich and we went out they had they double boarded someone or something it was a super weird like they like the same boarding pass got used twice and eventually they threw a guy off the plane hmm. um, and his bags but it took like an hour to figure that out so we were pretty late getting out um, and still had time for a quick shower beer uh, and brezel on the way on the connection so not so, the worst in the world so do you I mean are, do you think it's overrated Seth Swiss that is? Swiss um my answer to that is going to be, do you guys remember when there was the mistake fair, was it Munich to San Francisco in business class? I chose the United flights over the Swiss flights. In that's business. when we got to meet B. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's my answer there. Um, and part of that is, aside from a lot of things, I actually enjoy chatting with the flight attendants. And I find that U.S.-based flight attendants are more likely to whether it's a good conversation or not, are more likely to be willing to engage. I think, I think the Swiss, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like the Swiss flight attendants are much more uh, formal and will not have conversations. Um, I know my wife loved Swiss on the way back uh, to JFK. uh, But other than just that one flight, I haven't, I've flown them through Europe quite a few times. I've flown the business class product. I I don't particularly enjoy enjoy it. I don't find it that great. I feel the Swiss flight attendants make the German flight attendants look hospitable. <laughs> the Lufthansa ones? Yes. Yeah. Well, like, Lufty, I will say this, I will give Swiss this credit. They don't keep it at, like, 90 degrees in the cabin. That is the plus of Swiss. <laughs> Lufthansa, on the other hand, is like, we're going to sweat you out. Well, You're going to need that you. shower when you gonna, What you didn't know is you signed up for a sauna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting all the toxins out of your system. So, yeah, to our European listeners, like, these idiots. Um, I'm pretty sure most of our U.S. listeners are saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's different than any other day, how? <laughs> so, last topic, and then we'll wrap it up. I, I want to ask you guys a question. I talked to Foz a little bit about this. Um, I'm looking at maybe going to Europe in August. Uh, I've heard that. And, well, yeah, what, yeah, what, do you, what, what do you think, Seth? Like, you made a comment in the chat that you yeah. wouldn't go to Europe right now. It's not on my list. Um, and I'm... I'm not entirely sure I have an answer for why. I say that I'm going to London in four weeks, probably. So, like, <laughs> hypocritical asshole, Seth, there he is. Um, <laughs> but you're doing that for the JetBlue flight. I'm doing it for the JetBlue inaugural. I wish the JetBlue inaugural was later, and it was when Europe was a little more stable, for lack of a better word, right? Like, I think um, part of it is we're seeing a resurgence in infection rates here in the U.S. because the Delta variant is now running wild. Um, but also, you know, my trip to St. Martin, one of the challenges was figuring out just the logistics of it. I'm not that worried about a false positive test mm. getting me stranded somewhere. I know that is one of your big concerns. Yeah. Um, 
respect that it's not that doesn't run on the top of my list. I'm more worried about just it's it's a silly thing because what it really boils down to is an extra couple hours at either end of the trip and an extra hundred bucks. It's a, it's right? a pain I, in the ass, what you're but it's a pain in the ass, and it really does affect sort of how I feel about the travel experience in a way that I'm. I even surprise myself when I say it, but like it doesn't really. It makes me want to. It's not that it doesn't make me want to travel. It makes me want to not travel because it's just enough of an annoyance. I don't feel it's worth it for me. Mm. That's not to say everybody else should feel that same way. Um, I'm like I'm used to traveling in ways that are annoying and obnoxious because I book flights like that. Like it's, it's, it's sort of like my raison d'etre. You, um, you you booked the slow train from Bratislava to Budapest. I did. <laughs> but we had a lovely snowball flight when it broke down. It was weird. <laughs> Soon we are building it. <laughs> But like I, I, I don't know. It was like coming home from St. Martin and just dealing with the paperwork and dealing with you know being stuck outside waiting for them to process the other passengers and what that means time wise for the trip. Again, it was an hour out of the trip, but it it left an impact on this last trip to St. Martin, uh, not St. Martin, Santa Fe and New Mexico. You know the in flight experience, no food on board, like those sorts of things. It's it sucks. It, it sucks, and so like. Do I want to do eight hours of that? Not really. I kind of feel like three or four hours of it is enough. I just, I'm just ready to travel. I feel like I, I don't want to be around Americans. <laughs> I think that's where I'm at at this point. So, I mean, right, like all of the U.S. destinations that I would typically think of are very crowded. Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go to any. Right. So I understand that. And I think, you know, our, there's still plenty of, plenty of, but not massive numbers of U.S. tourists that have gone to Europe, right? So that's not so. Now, the other thing I guess I would say is I know. Your wife's a teacher, so you can't do it after the school year starts. But man, I think it's going to really chill out after the school year starts. You think you think it'll be even slower and quieter in Europe after? I think it'll be much August. quieter. Yeah, yeah. Into September. Also, yeah. like Europe in August, I, I don't know what it's normally you know what it's going to be like this year. But normally, like the the continent goes on vacation, so you got to deal with like their sort of local slash domestic um, holiday and what's going to be open and you know restaurants are closed and not all the, like things like that because sm- the smaller. Proprietors also go on vacation then because it's not like they cash in on the tourism business. They take their damn vacation. Yeah. I I, I wonder, you know, when do you guys think the U.S. government will lift the testing requirement for vaccinated tourists or vaccinated citizens coming back? Because that that to me is like it's one of the more idiotic things I think we're doing Um, as far as like we don't have any logic for it. It's we we, other countries are like, come on in. You're vaccinated. But we're like, eh, don't come home. Get, Get a test even if you're vaccinated. Maybe they don't want you to come home. I mean, it could be. But do we have a chance of this going away in the next? I mean, I think I think I saw the Biden administration had said, uh, "Not anytime soon." Any thoughts, Seth? Um, I think the closest I've heard is most people expecting that the mask mandate won't be renewed when it expires in September mm-hmm. for transport, and I understand that. I'm not sure I'm happy about it, but I understand it. Um, beyond that. We'll see. I don't know. I, I think that would be a good time to do it if you're going to do it. I think my best guess is that the U.S. government is waiting for higher vaccination levels in Europe before it starts to feel open, that way. Open. But, but, the, but I'm, my point is, is like, I understand even for yeah. U.S. citizens who are vaccinated returning, I think it's probably not scientifically supported. But the concern there is a vaccinated person hanging out with a whole lot of unvaccinated people is a potential breakthrough carrier. Yeah. Well, and two, like it's an it's it's the airlines are already having to police this. So it's just easier if they police one thing. Everyone's got to have the test. Right. Then trying to sort it all out. Yeah. And, although, you know, who, who's actually policing it? Like that's, that'll just rolls to the airline. Yeah. So if, you know, show me this test or show me your vaccine card or whatever. I mean, I, I guess the other question I have is I, I wonder how much of it is based on it's a little harder to fake a test result than to fake a vaccine card. True. Yeah, that's true. And the U.S. government won't support a digital repository for validating the cards. So, yeah, you know, it is what it is, man. Unfortunate. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? 
I have something minor. Oh, so it's here. Well, Seth triggered it for me in regards to so. Do you want an apology now, he is, too? He is nope. triggering. No, 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 not yet. Not yet. So, I, the, 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 I can only do one apology per episode. Like, that's my limit. There, there's a little tongue in cheek here, but there's also there's also an element of seriousness here. So, when, when all, all this started a year and a half ago in regards to coronavirus, right, one of the things that happened is coronavirus saw their sales tank pretty substantially because people, the number of people associated the virus with coronavirus. Oh, yeah. With the Delta variant. <laughs> <laughs> you see where this is going. I, I, yes. I see it. I, like, seriously, like, do, do we see Delta being negatively impacted by all the hubbub around the Delta variant being talked? There, there was a bit of a meme thing going around the other day about that, like, the irony of Delta being so aggressive about keeping seats blocked and whatever and not being saddled with the, you know, why don't they call it the, I think they, in, the in the thing I thought was like, why don't they call it the United variant? Because <laughs> it's fun to shit on United, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I guess when we're talking about it, like people are like, I've, I've heard it actually referred to in the news. Those like, oh, De- well, Delta is just causing a lot of issues and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? The airline is, <laughs> that's where my brain goes. Well, now we know why their flights are getting, why, why they're having so many delays and cancellations. Yeah. Yeah. It's the variant. It's the variant. <laughs> the oh man. All right. No, we've been going for, for no, we've been talking for way too long though. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us to our Patreon subscribers. And, uh, yeah, we can find us on Twitter at dots lines, more dots, more lines.com till next time. Happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later.